Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. We have a show for you today. Uh, I am not making any representations that it's good. I just said there is a <laughs> show for you today. Anyway, as I said, I'm from Above the Law. I am joined by another Above the Law person that you know so well, and uh, Catherine Rubino. Come on now. I again, I wasn't making representations. <laughs> today is all about cabining Here's what I facts. say. Yeah. Here's the facts. Very, very, very careful with just all the, facts, the words. Ma'am. I mean, that's that's what being a lawyer is, being Isn't, very cautious about... I thought you're supposed to make arguments. Aren't you an advocate for your client? It's got to be... You've got to be very circumspect in what you say. It's it's about parsing your words, mm. being careful. Uh, so, yeah. So, we are here, and we have all sorts of fun things to talk about. Um, I don't know about fun, but certainly interesting. Let's say that. Fair enough. Uh, I mean, we, you were very concerned a second ago about being accurate and circumspect in your language choices. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. There we go. So, okay. So we are um, recording as of we're still in the midst of the Republican National Convention, uh, which uh, this is not technically a politics podcast, especially now that we don't have Ellie anymore. Uh, <laughs> but we, you know, there were a lot of legal issues that came up in the midst of this. Well, they uh, also got quite a few lawyers up there talking. There are a few lawyers, but we have some legal issues that came up, so we thought we would talk a little bit about that. Uh, so yeah, what? Need, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so what did you want to address first uh, as you untangle that convention? Oh, and we have another bit after this. We're going to talk a little bit about um, sexual harassment and why you shouldn't do it, uh, especially at Yale. But we'll get to that <laughs> in a minute. Uh, but first, so RNC, so what did you want to tackle first? I mean, there was a lot of issues there. Um, the St. Louis couple um, lawyers that... Okay. Do you want to start there? Yeah, sure. Yeah, because it was a question. I, I, and, oh, sure. Yeah. All yeah, right. Yeah. So so uh, first up, uh, er, on the first night, we got a yeah, appearance the of the McCloskeys. That is the couple that you may remember as the folks who took out an AR-15 and a pistol and started waving them at people marching by their house in St. Louis. At the time, they were very... At the time... When they did that, they were very cognizant of how that looked and felt that it was, you know, they wanted people to understand they really didn't have anything against the movement. They were reacting because they felt they were in trouble. Right. Uh, they have Done apparently a bit backtracked from yeah. that uh, and leaned into the idea that... Uh, well, they're, they're getting their own f sort of fame and notoriety from leaning into sort of the, the uh, kind of underbelly of what that all represents. Yeah. So they went on uh, and gave, uh, I, I would say it was a very interesting speech. Uh, I thought it was super entertaining, uh, mostly <laughs> because it looked like a hostage video. It was almost as if somebody had an AR-15 aimed at them the whole time. Uh, they they delivered their lines in the most stilted, awkward manner possible. Uh, not quite ready for prime time is what I'm hearing here. It wasn't. And it was weird considering that these are attorneys uh, and attorneys who are you know, trial attorney folks, uh, that they would have such a stilted and awkward way of speaking. Uh, you, we, you know, we expect well, not every things. lawyer is a good lawyer, right? Right, but tr sure. And obviously, there is a million and one tax attorneys. I'm going to pick on you for a second <laughs> who could not carry a conversation, but are just 
you know, they're like brains that we hide in a room and then they occasionally (laughs) pop out and say, I discovered a new way to port millions of dollars. Um, But trial lawyers, that is their game. Uh, Being able to talk to people is what they're supposed to do. Sure, but I do think that there is a vast difference between having a, being a trial lawyer and being able to have a, a conversation as it is with a jury or a judge in a room as opposed to over you know, Zoom or whatever technology was being used, right? That like, I do think that there is a difference between being comfortable via technology and in person. And I think that that's, I mean, I think everyone recognizes that is very true right now as we're only over Zoom. Yeah, I I mean, I guess, well, it's not Zoom. I mean, this is just, this was just Well, any kind of recording. People people are, listen, there's a reason why, you know, back in the golden age of Hollywood, there were folks who did great on the stage but didn't make the transition to Hollywood, right? Not everyone translates well over camera. I mean, but this... This Chode has done interviews, right? Like, we've seen him on TV talking to people already. We know that he's not this, uh, this awkward. So... I don't know. I feel it, it felt weird. Uh, it felt like a hostage video, and it felt as though they weren't free to say what they necessarily wanted. Uh, that not that what they were going to say was going to be much different necessarily, but it seemed very scripted, and that they weren't ready for a script. Uh, was my takeaway. Uh, and the script. I, don't know. I feel like that gives them a lot more uh, benefit of the doubt. Again, that, I've seen them on TV before no, no, giving I don't, interviews. I'm sorry, I don't mean that. Yeah. I mean that you seem to be saying also that there's some uh, content differential that they would be doing or changing sure. if it was short, solely up to them. As far as I can tell, listen, if they're willing to get up there, no one's forcing them they to talk- be on the RNC. When they make that decision and they have gone on and they've approved the script. Yeah, but. Did you watch this thing? They went on a they went on a drag for a considerable amount of time of the short speech about like obscure housing regulations. Like it was it was clear that this was stuff that wasn't top of mind to a regular person uh, that was put in front of them. Like you have to go on this jag about a Fair Housing Act of sixty eight amendment that was added to the CFR in 2016. Like, what the, what was I mean, that? Well, lawyers the only ones who are gonna, going to be able to do that anyway. But Right, but, but it was just so awkward. I don't think you should give them the benefit of the doubt, like, oh, they're somehow better than the speech that they gave. They gave the speech, they made that decision, it's on them. Sure, that, that wasn't in any way. I mean, what that, we, is, that is the way you're coming across. That isn't in any way what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the fact that there are people who are trial attorneys who are incapable of giving a speech. And it seems as though it's because something was thrown in front of them and they don't understand how to deal with a script. And it was because they were being used as a messaging board for some weird, obscure policy decisions that Probably, I mean, look, if you'd put them out there to just talk about how important their guns were, I think they would have been fine. Uh, But that wasn't the decision. The decision was to have them talk about some other stuff that they seemed woefully unprepared for. Anyway, so that was night one. Uh, After Mm -hmm. that, we got some some more people. Uh, So what happened next? Uh, Tiffany Trump uh, got up there. She's a recent uh, Georgetown Law Center graduate. Um, And... (laughs) I, I saw one publication referred to her as a dollar store Ivanka Trump. Oh, <laughs> which eh, it's, it's a good line. It's a good line. You got to appreciate the the cleverness mm. there. Um, but she she attempted to come across uh, or to you know impart um, more of the humanity that I think that is missing from large swaths of her family and and relate to folks by saying, "Hey, I'm a recent law school graduate, and I need to. Uh, I'm looking for a job too." 
which mm. which is stunning. First of all, I don't know how a T14 graduate who seemingly did just fine in classes is somehow struggling to find a job. But but put that to one side, it rings in especially hollow when someone who's lived such a life of privilege comes up and says, I understand what it's like to not have a job. It's vastly different. She may not have a job in the sense that and there might be some sort of existential dread. Oh, what am I doing with the rest of my life? What do I want? How am I going to be meaningful? Whereas other folks who are graduating with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and loans as a result of going to law school are thinking about, and if they don't have jobs, they're thinking about lots of different things than just, you know, their contributions to the world. They're thinking about, how do I feed my family? How do I make sure that we don't become unhoused during a pandemic? You know, there's a lot more, and those are the things that really are are worrying people right now or keeping folks up. Not like, oh, what am I going to do with my life? Which at best is the sort of worry that, that I think that a Trump has right now. Yeah, there, there's a real, uh, there's a, it's pernicious, this problem. And when you go to law school, you run across it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are just people who don't quite grasp that their, their experience of the same problem you're having is a very different experience. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> when I don't have a job, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. Uh, when they don't have a job, they go to the Hamptons for a week. Uh, yeah. Like it's, it's really or a year, right. They have that luxury. It's more than just, you know, a short period of time. Um, and I don't think that, that they, they grasp that. And I don't, and also something that we've talked a lot about on above the law generally is that just having a law degree does not insulate you from those sorts of fears and economic uncertainty and insecurity issues. Right. And a lot of times people go to law school assuming that, Oh, it's a great profession. you can make a lot of money. And those opportunities may or may not be there for you when you graduate law school, particularly, you know, during a pandemic, we don't know what those who are starting law school now, we don't know what the market's going to look like in three years. But the reality is, you know, people think that, oh, I have a law degree. I'm going to be okay. But we don't, you don't know that. And that's the truth. And you've, you've put a big mortgage on your future when you've taken out $200,000 worth of loans in order to get said degree. And, you know, assuming that you're going to be able to pay it back in, in some reasonable amount of time, but that's not always true. Yeah. And I, I, I feel as though she did not take out many loans. Um, that's uh, my guess. And I guess. and, you know, and but it is true that, you know, I I don't think people quite grasp. Uh, and I assume the intention was that the audience uh, for this speech wouldn't grasp that within the T14, the job cycle mm-hmm. is such that you do know where you're going to work by the time you graduate. That's all real usually been settled during your second year. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It's weird to assume she she didn't have that lined up. It's probably because she, I, I don't know, like it's all, it's all you almost have to not have right, tried. right. I think that I think that's true. If you're graduating, you know, with decent grades and and at from a T fourteen law school, your chances of not knowing what you're doing after graduation is pretty small. Um, and if you don't know, it's either because you have a wealth of options available to you and you can make a decision on a dime uh, because you have the sort of family connections that will give you plenty of options uh, in the future, right? Or something's gone very, very awry, which is always possible. I don't want to say that, yeah. you know, people... Bad things happen to people. Oh, absolutely. But, you but, know, that's that's certainly a possibility, but it seems far more likely in this case that she's, if she doesn't have a job, it was not the way she phrased it, it was a little awkward. It's not 100% clear whether or not she has a job lined up. But if she doesn't, it's because she has 
all the options, right? Mm -hmm. She will always be the daughter of a president, um, no matter what happens. And that will inevitably open up doors, even besides the money that she comes from. Right. So uh, real quick, uh, I guess the last uh, topic uh, that I can think of coming out of that. Oh, actually, no, before... Before we get on that, there's another thing I wanted to say about Tiffany. So, right. So she suggested that she had this this problem, but I think you've made a great point that there, are, you know, normal people uh, in these sorts of situations have mm-hmm. different different. It's just a different relationship to that, and a different reason to worry. Uh, another reason to worry is if you have a contract deadline. Contract Tools by Paper Software is the most powerful, versatile, and fully featured Microsoft add-in for contracts. For less than a dollar a day, Contract Tools can help you navigate complex legalese, fix common contract drafting problems, and much more. See for yourself with a seven-day free trial. Go to papersoftware.com forward slash trial and get started today. So. The last issue uh, that came out of that was the Hatch Act, which I was is to say, if you had a Google alert set for Hatch Act, you've yeah, been just it, getting it's been all blowing the emails. Up. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the Hatch Act, which is the law that says that various federal government officials are not allowed to engage in the political process, uh, this typically covers people like, say, the Secretary of State uh, or the, I would say the, the Secretary of Homeland Security, but this person isn't that. He's claims to be the acting. Secretary of Homeland Security, but it appears as though legally he's not even that, uh, according to a recent report. So it's not really clear. Uh-huh. But whatever that guy's job is, <laughs> whatever that guy's job is, he's part of this too. Uh, they're not supposedly allowed to do this. Uh, both of them have spoken at the convention, which would appear to be a violation. However, the entity whose job it is to enforce violations has zero members on it right now because they have been purged and not replaced by the administration. So he's problematic. The Hatch Act appears to be completely toothless uh, is our takeaway for this week. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. And and I mean, the Trump administration has re- and not only that, but a lot of right wing critics have also been spreading rumors and, and mistruth lies uh, about various instances of other presidents using um, folks that would be violations of the Hatch Act as well. But all the ones that I've seen have proven to be inaccurate uh, and just I mean, it true. definitely comes up uh, and it it, sure. it it comes up and it came up during the Obama administration, uh, though they so a good example that I remember just kind of off mm-hmm. the top of my head was Kathleen Sebelius when she was health and at Health and Human Services did a interview talking about normal work. Sure. Uh, and at Part some job, point, yeah. <laughs> somebody asked a question about the upcoming, at this point, 2012 election. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she responded with something about reelecting the president, which that technically is a violation mm-hmm. of the Hatch Act. And her response was to write a check and pay for the travel that was involved in the entire trip to compensate the federal government for the fact that she technically was politicking on federal government the federal government's dime. Right. Now it was a, but that's minute. very different than it was know, a minute out of. Yeah. Uh, Nor a was huge the Obama process. administration trotting out Kathleen Sebelius in order right. to politic for her on the government's dime, which is right. what I think a lot it of these very memes, much right-wing memes are saying and doing. Yeah, and and this is the problem with the the whole both sideism, which I mm-hmm. I hate that phraseology because I think that it's often misapplied by people. For sure, but the this is kind of the problem with it, which is. Both sides did this, but the distinctions between what they did are fairly substantive. Yes. Uh, 
yeah, I, I guess there was also and also there was there was teeth in the in the yeah. in the Hatch Act back then because they they there were people on the committee. Well, the question now is, do we even need a Hatch Act anymore? Like, if we if we're gonna, I think we need a better Hatch Act. Uh, I mean, th- those are the, there are two questions. Uh, one that it needs to get far toothier and do that more or, toothsome. Yeah, no, I, or or is it just one of those situations where we all know that people who are political appointees to jobs like the Secretary of State position do have a stance on who wins the upcoming election, and it's okay for them to say we believe, as a matter of the foreign policy that we're executing, that our our boss is right. I could not believe more strongly that. Uh, we have we can't allow this to be the beginning of the end. We need to see it and respond and make it stronger and make it less and make less of it. Right. I think that it's really problematic. I think that, you know, being able to draw distinctions between, you know, the business of do of running a country and trying to get the job again, it needs to be clear. It needs to be distinct. Uh, and we and of all the things that are going to change the ways politics will change because of the Trump administration, I I think it, it behooves the next administration to make sure that this does not become commonplace I, I and get, to create rules also that prevent it from becoming commonplace. Because just because the next administration may not engage in it does not mean it needs to be very clear. There needs to be a, a more a toothier response or, or consequences available. Yeah, I I guess I I don't know. I, I really do. I'm I'm kind of coming around to the idea that I obviously there it needs to be very nihilistic though, right? No, th- no, look. There there needs to be something. Uh, there yeah. needs to be something to prevent the government from saying we're going to take all of our people off of working on nuclear arms reduction deals and have them hand out leaflets like on the federal government dime. That's obviously problematic. But I do think there's a distinction between that and the Secretary of State expressing that, yes, I'm obviously a political appointee. I obviously was a prominent Republican legislator for years. I do think that from what I've been working on, like that, that the president's fine. I, I don't think that's necessarily bad. And I think it would, I think part of the problem with the Hatch Act is that we have been requiring people in that sort of position to adhere to it in a way that was somewhat chimerical that it would ever work. I think that the idea of making a distinction between the career work of the bureaucracy and politicking is important, but that there are certain figures who are political appointees and high-profile jobs who we should not hold to the standard of not being able to express, obviously, I'm part of this administration and support it. You know, it, like it, it might be a situation where it's so where its breadth but there, but there right is, now but there is, is the problem. It's, it, there is like a way to deal with it, right? That's what Kathleen Sibillis did, right? She said, okay, you know, the government shouldn't be paying for this. It's not a reason to say like we should get rid of all of our regulations, that we should go backwards. No, not all. I'm, I'm saying that there's a distinction and that it should, it, we have, there is a carve out now for the president and the vice president sure. because obviously they have to run for office. It, it, I, it, their jobs on the line. I just think that, that we could probably solve a a lot of the violations that exist by not uh, making di- them violations. Sure, no, <laughs> that's true of everything. Well, fair enough, but uh, we could solve a lot of the violations that have been happening, dating dating back and including people like Sibelius, uh, her Sibelius's situation. If we just said that the political appointees who are the heads of these departments are not going to be held to the standard of not 
being allowed to there, there express has to be political a standard, opinions. Though, there, right? It can't just be like they can do whatever they want because I mean, what, what, I, I, I'm not sure. Like, it, does it really bother? anyone to know that the Secretary of State supports the administration? No, not not that it's, no, that's not what bother, it's bothersome about violations of the Hatch Act, right? It's that they're spending their their time and resources of the federal government uh, doing these electioneering right. activities. And, and I it's think- It's bad enough, like I understand the carve out for the president and the vice president, but it's bad enough that the American people are, quote, you know, paying for them to politic. Right. There's, that's sort of inevitable and, you know, you, you deal with it, whatever, but the owner should not be on the American people to pay for more members of the federal government to electioneer. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, uh, I, there is definitely- there are definitely acts that go too far and stuff like that. Uh, I think the idea of hijacking a naturalization ceremony as a prop is Awful. is bad. <laughs> that said, you know, like that's bad. The idea of a a cabinet official speaking just doesn't it, it doesn't bother me, and it didn't bother me when it happened before, and it doesn't necessarily bother me now. But alas, I think who's who's paying for these events also is a big consideration and it needs to be for any future legislation. Sure. sure. Uh, and yeah. And like, look, if, if somebody was flying somewhere for the sole purpose of electioneering, then that's problematic. Uh, if you're if you're yeah, in but, Jerusalem but, for other reasons and that, you hop in, like, I think eh. that defining sole purpose is really problematic. I think that if you're doing electioneering there, I think that that has to count as electioneering, right? Because it's like, oh, I could take my trip to wherever, you know, any any time, but I'm going to do it in order to coincide with the RNC. I, think I just feel like this is like this is like law firm they're expenses. Uni- they're they're leveraging. Yeah, I they're just, leveraging their their office. Sure, in sure. In a way that's problematic. I mean, and I and I think that's that that fine distinction between like using an uh, a naturalization ceremony as a prop is certainly leveraging that power. But somebody whose job required them to be in a city for other reasons is doing their job in the city for other reasons than appearing on a Zoom call to say. You know, I stand with the with my boss. I mean, listen, they doesn't strike me they can as have, like this is a Zoom call, right? You can have any background you want, right? They don't have to be utilizing the trappings of their position in order to election. Yeah, uh, uh, fair enough. I mean, maybe maybe that's the distinction that has to happen. I don't know. I like. I definitely think that the reason this live gets, from Jerusalem that this not gets need to happen. I just think this gets violated because so often because it is so broad. And it's treated as a non-issue by so many because it's so broad. And that if we if we so want to fix it, we need to nail like it. Levels down. like you know, level one, level two. Sure, maybe it maybe it's that. Maybe it's it's specific act carve-outs rather than whole positions. Whatever it is, I I, I don't pretend to have an answer. I just feel like we're too eager to say, oh, just off with their heads with all of this. I, I think that there's that that's the mentality that got us to this problem. Well, anyway, uh, hey, do you want to talk about Yale Law School? Sure. Okay. So um, two years ago in 2018, uh, news broke that there was an investigation uh, into inappropriate behavior going on um, that involved a very prominent law professor, Jed Rubenfeld. Uh, he's very well-known law professor um, and also married to Amy Chua, who's, uh, you know, known for being writing Tiger Mom. And she's also a Yale Law School professor. And she's also uh, on the Yale Clerkship Committee. 
And the investigation went into a series of um, inappropriate behaviors um, against um, Professor Rubenfeld. And finally, two years later, they came back with a finding, um, as reported by New York Magazine, that there was sexual harassment and inappropriate behavior, and he would be suspended for two years uh, from the law school. Also banned, I think, from having small meetings and groups because a lot of the allegations came from dinner parties that he was supposedly having um, with uh, law students and stuff like that. So he won't be able to have small meetings in, uh, with, with students again. Seems like Amy needs to be more of a tiger wife. Oh, okay. But, you know, <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, and I think that what um, some folks have pointed out, and I think is a very fair point to make, is that, you know, the the other way to phrase this is not just law professor gets two-year suspension for sexual harassment, is law professor allowed to keep his job despite sexual harassment. Mm, and that yeah. is a very, I think, fair and interesting way of turning the lens and saying, you know, what are we focusing on? And it's true. I mean, I should also note that Rubenfeld denies the allegations and says that uh, he did not uh, sexually harass anybody uh, during the course of his tenure at Yale Law School. But it should be said that, you know, the law school has made this finding about behavior that he allegedly engaged in. And two years is the is the is the only that's it. You know, yeah. he still gets to come back. He still gets to ha he still gets to, you know, be Yale law noted Yale law school professor. So and, and in some of his statements, you know, he said that he was unable to uh, know who his accusers were. Um, however, Yale policy is pretty explicit and has said says that you have the accusers have to be known to everyone. And um, additionally, one of the claimants came and spoke to New York Magazine and said that they were very clear that their name was absolutely known <laughs> to to Rubenfeld um, during the course of the investigation. And this is certainly something that has been heard of before. Uh, mm -hmm. This the conversations about this were certainly circulating during the Kavanaugh hearings because Rubenfeld and Chua were both very active and aggressive supporters of Kavanaugh's nomination. Mm -hmm. uh, their daughter actually clerked for Kavanaugh. Yep. So they they were pushing that. This uh, As that was happening, obviously, most of the country's attention was on the Kavanaugh part. Mm -hmm. uh, but there were conversations and articles uh, popped up then about this these allegations circulating. Right. And that's what ultimately prompted Yale to begin an internal investigation, mm -hmm. which is how we got to where we are today. Yep. Very true. But yeah. it, it, I think it's I think it's a very fair point to turn the lens as to what the ultimate impact has been, despite the finding of, of inappropriate behavior. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it it's it's weird. Uh, like you do have tenure, which is designed to protect academics, uh, which it makes it very difficult to get rid of somebody. Sure, entirely. it's also designed, it's supposed to, in its ideal form, right, it's supposed to protect academics so that they have academic freedom, not so that they then can, right, not so that they can harass folks. <laughs> right, although, I mean, as a, as a general matter, I think it's a, it's a labor protection to protect them sure. from, um, sure. from the school. Listen, I'm pro-labor. Um, yeah, so it, it's, it's hard, and that's why I think that there is no termination, but sure. it, it's a suspension. Uh, there's obviously some degree of hope that a punishment can lead to some changing of behaviors mm -hmm. that would uh, would avoid these sorts of problems. Uh, but we'll see. Like, and yeah, you know, the story's like, not finished being written. Yeah, uh, especially considering that he's 
seems as though he's going to be fighting. So right. there we go. Well, cool. I think we've covered everything, haven't we? Yeah. It's, uh, um, it's been this a pretty, was an eventful week. Pretty packed um, week. <laughs> yeah. So it's been, a, and we didn't even discuss the exciting stuff coming out of the International Legal Technology Association show. Dun, dun, dun. Which, okay, that's a different kind of sound effect. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I've i been doing that. Uh, you can check some of my coverage of that on the website, which is where you should be all the time checking out Above the Law because we're writing there pretty much constantly. Uh, mm-hmm. This 30 minutes is our only real break. Uh, please, please send help. Uh, <laughs> with all that said, thanks for listening. You should be subscribed to the show. You should give it reviews, write something about it. It always helps us get more attention for what we're doing here. You should follow us. She's at a Catherine one, the numeral one. I'm at Joseph Patrice at Twitter. Uh, listen to this show. You already have successfully done. Good job, you. Uh, you can also check out our ATL COVID cast, our special report series on COVID and the changing of the legal profession, and the Jabot, which is a show Catherine hosts about women and minorities and diversity issues in law firms. Oh, and all the other offerings of the Legal Talk Network. Um, Thank you, as always, to Contract Tools by Paper Software, who is sponsoring the show. And with that, now I think we're done. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.